for the next couple of weeks, we're going to go back to a sermon series that we started last fall called Things That We Believe. Now, when I say believe, I don't mean that we, we hold on to these things, that these things are gospel truth for us, but they kind of just hang out in our, in our minds and we almost act as though we believe them. But, but by God's Word, we want to really look at those thoughts and even doctrines to make sure they match up. I, I know you don't really believe those things. I don't really believe them. But boy, if you watch my life sometimes, I, I sometimes am caught up by those things. The word believe, by the way, is interesting. We're in 1 John. You watch what John says in his gospel about believe. It reminds me about the great Blondin. Anybody remember him from back in the day, the tricks he would do over Niagara Falls with a tightrope as he would get out and walk back and forth? Even one day they said he went out and took a wheel, wheelbarrow and just walked out on the rope and, and, and would put things in the wheelbarrow on the rope going back and forth and then ask the crowd, do you believe that I could put a person in here and walk them back and forth and make it back? And they all yelled, yes, yes, who wants to get in? Not a volunteer, which means no belief. In John's gospel, it's not intellectual assent to a truth, but in John's gospel, it means I sit down in the wheelbarrow. I'm putting everything, all my faith, not just I believe it here, but I believe it here, and I believe it with all of my being. I am resting in Christ. And so we're at 1 John today, kind of looking at one of these little phrases that we don't believe it, but it, it sinks into our subconscious. It's certainly out there in the culture. I love 1 John. This is, this is the letter I read when I first became a believer. And it's interesting. I don't know that it, if I have preached from 1 John before, it's maybe one time. I don't know if I just don't go back there because I'll stay there a long time. It was so uh, formative for me. But there's so much here for, for us, especially in the culture in which we live. When we check the pressure of false doctrines or false ideas. And here's how I know it can be real for us. Did anybody here, no show of hands, but did anybody here watch college football yesterday? And if you did, did you stand during the game the whole game? Because if you don't, your team will lose. Or did you sit in a particular chair? Or did you wear a particular shirt? Or like one of my relatives... When we are losing, my particular college team, and we start to come back, he immediately turns off the TV. Because he knows that if he watches it, we're going to blow it. Right? And so he turns it off, <coughs> goes in the other room, and will come back an hour later to see if his superstition worked. Now, how crazy is that? He's paying all that money for cable, and the few programs that he would want to watch, he doesn't watch. Have you ever heard your college coach get up at a press conference after the game and say, we were doing great. We were coming back. And then that member of Barry Mail's family kept the TV on. And we, right? But that's what we believe. You ever watched a baseball player get up to hit? All the superstitions that we have. But some of the superstitions can really fester in our minds and, and it, can, it can inhibit our lives with God, but also how we minister to a culture. So this week, we're looking at a, at a particular topic. And I'm not being dogmatic about it. First John won't let us be. 
uh, dogmatic about it, but it's good to call this into question and really the most important thing is what's underneath all that. And that's, that's really what we'll talk about today. Now, John is writing to these churches here. And these churches are grounded in their faith, but they, he gives them a whole lot of fellowship talk, a whole lot of love talk that some of us may be a little uncomfortable with. He reminds them that they can abide with God. But then he also hits them with the right cross about how we ought to live in response to that relationship. They may be grounded, but the people of 1 John are about to not take it on the chin, but they're about to be confronted with false doctrine. He knows what's out there. He knows the ideas that are already this early that are already coming to the church. The idea of Greek philosophy and now the secret knowledge the secret idea that, you know what, this stuff, flesh, really doesn't matter. What you do with flesh, it's bad, it's dirty, do whatever you want with this stuff. What really matters is your mind, or what really matters is spirit. And so when Jesus even came to be with us, there would even be some that would start to argue, oh, no, 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 he was Casper the ghost. They had Casper back then, a lot of y'all don't know that, no. But they, he, he wasn't flesh. He didn't bleed. And when he resurrected, he didn't bodily resurrect. He resurrected in their hearts and in their minds. And so 1 John, part of his argument, many believe, many Bible scholars, is to say to them, oh, that he is the Son of God incarnate. The Father loved you so much that he's given you this grace in Jesus Christ, who came in body and your bodies then also matter and so here in first john 3 he's even talking about what we will be not only is he talking about jesus and that's where we'll we'll hunker down in that but also what is it we will be sometime let's be honest with each other what do we say to family sadly many of us have been there if you've miscarried in your family or lost a child what do we say to each other you know what god got another what today what do we say? You got another angel. And what do people mean by that? They're just trying to encourage. They're just trying to, to bless. So I, I understand our, our push to say things like that. It's like last year we talked about everything happens for a reason. Well, I think God can add purpose and reason to everything. He's so sovereign and so good that Romans is true, that everything can be ordered together. But, but you're in trouble if you push that statement too far, which is not found in Scripture. Everything happens for a reason. And so it's with this phrase as well, to be careful to be biblical in how we share help and comfort and peace with people in difficult times. I've looked up Internet this week. Real phrases said at real funerals. What was said to families in their time of need? Here, here are these things. And again, it's, it's trying to help. But listen to these things that were actually said. Number one, I am so sorry for your loss, but it was probably for the best. Really? This is best? A teen mom who lost her husband of 15 years. She was a, she was a teen mom. They, lived, they were married 15 years of life, so she's only 33. And a woman walked up to her in front of her kids and said, Don't worry, kiddies. Your mama will get you a new daddy really soon. 
her 15-year-old punched the woman in the face, and the woman gave her daughter an extra 20 bucks in her allowance that week. Good girl. Uh, Heard said at a funeral, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. Putting that on God. Uh, Again, same thing. at At a man at his daughter's funeral. At his daughter's funeral, at least you're young enough to have another child. Actually said. Another person said, well, at least she lived a long life. Many people die young. Your dad owed me uh, 20 bucks. Can I get that soon? I made that one up, but I thought that was, I bet that's been said, though. I did make that one up. And this is one that we all say, how are you doing? How are you? And we mean it, and it's, by the way, if you ask that, that's not too bad, but that's kind of bad. You're standing there in a receiving line at the worst possible moment. How are you? Well, how do you think I am? And then somebody actually said uh, to, a, to a mother at the funeral of her 16-year-old, I know what you're going through. I just went through a divorce. No, you don't. Well intended. God got another angel. We think about that. It's in our culture. It's in media. It's in cartoons that when the young die, we think, oh, God got another angel. And so we look to Scripture. And again, we have to be scriptural. E. Stanley Jones says, no person can be spiritual who is not scriptural. And so we want to look to God's Word and say, what does he say about things like that? And even as well-intended, I get why we mix that up a little bit. Angels and humanity were both created. They were both created good. They were both created as rational beings. They will both be under judgment, that when angels appear so many times, not always, but in Scripture, they appear as humanity, as men. So I, I get some of that. Uh, but then you read the other scriptures, and there's a, there's a marked difference throughout. That for Psalm 8, 5, we were created a little lo- lower than the heavenly beings, that there's a different judgment, that they can't see into the gospel and salvation like that we can. So, so many differences here. Um, I told a church member this week, you know, I think I'm going to preach on this phrase. I'm going to go back to this because I think it's important for us for what's underneath, and that's, that's where we're going this morning. I told a church member, yeah, I think I'm preaching on that this week. And the church member looked me in the eye and said, why would you preach that? (laughs) Well, this is for that church member uh, who said that. There's no room for the church to be dogmatic about this stuff because what did John just say? It's not yet appeared what we're going to be. It's not that. And we'll talk about it in a minute. Whatever you believe about heaven and where we go when we die, and how we are after we die. You can't be dogmatic, because here's somebody who's witnessed the transfiguration. Maybe we don't know the dates particularly. Maybe he's even seen the revelation. We know he's seen the resurrected Christ, and he's saying, look, I'm still, it's not for sure what we will be, but here's what I do know. We're going to see him, and we're going to be like him. Him. We're going to see him, and we'll be like him. And there's a great reminder to us then, too, uh, especially in this scripture. One is this, that's the great hope. And it's not just a hope of someday. Here John is saying, yes, someday we will see and be like him. But if you read all of John's gospel, you read 1 John, 
when he talks about that life, he's not talking about someday. This is one of the reasons we can say definitively, I know I won't be an angel because I'm already saved. Eternal life has already begun. Living with God is now, and so I'm going to live with God now and enjoy all I can now, and then we just even move further into that relationship and that restoration and that redemption and that restoring and that recreating once we get to glory. He says, you're beloved now, you are children now, you know now. What a great hope that we have. If you don't know that hope, I want to pray with you today about that. Ben would love to pray. Corey would love to pray with you that day. John is saying to the children of God, I write these things that you can know that you're saved. Because the Father loves you so much. That he, wants to, he wants to call you beloved. He wants to call you child. And if you have that, oh, there's a hope. Not just for a life to come, that we'll get to see him and be with him. And he will later say in Revelation, face to face, God himself will be with him. But here in 1 John... And also in John's gospel, he's talking about a reality that's right now. It's a present hope, not just a future hope. As Rosemary so beautifully prayed for us this morning as we started worship, we can know today it can be well with our souls today. Oh, I pray that for all of us this morning, that we would know that great hope of 1 John, that he says to us, I write these things so that you can know that you're saved but then after that great hope what is it in verse 3 that that great hope is to fund what is it that great hope is to to lead to and he says at the end of verse 3 those who have that hope are being purified and it's this reminder again that those who know that Christ is the resurrection those who have their hope in Christ something's got to change in our lives here that our lives matter it'd be interesting if i lined y'all up today if i said all right we're gonna have the fight you ready to have the fight if you believe that when you die you go to heaven go over here and if you when you die if you believe your spirit goes to heaven but your body stays in the grave until the final judgment when they're brought back together you go here and then if you believe that when you die your body and your spirits remain in the grave you go over here y'all ready i'm gonna count to three. One, two. Yeah, we'd have some division. And you go to 1 Thessalonians 4 or 1 Corinthians 15, you can have a lot of fun with that argument. That's why we can't be dogmatic uh, about these things. If you want to take me out to coffee, and by the way, you'll pay for coffee if we're talking about something like this. I'd love to talk with you about that and what Scripture has to say about these things. But when I was talking with this church me me a member who said, why do you want to preach about that? Then I brought up this subject. Well, you know, we have different, different ideas about what heaven is and what we shall be. Even John says, we, we're not sure exactly, but I know we'll be like him. When I brought that up, you know what the person said? I don't care. I just know that when I'm absent from the body, I'm what? I'm present with Jesus. There's something right about that. I'm just, that's the glorious hope. When I'm absent, I am present. That's what, that's what Paul told the church in Corinth. However, this glorious hope, as we have that hope before us, and again, there's room here for mystery, but we, that glorious hope we have before us, what, what John does say to us is, that has to then fund and undergird and form what we do in this body. 
He's battling a doctrine that's hitting those churches in Asia, and he's saying, don't fall for this. Christ was the incarnate Son of God. As our choir reminded us in that beautiful added verse this morning to Holy, Holy, he bled for us and for our salvation. It's in his body that he lived perfectly, in every intention of his heart, in every thought he ever had, in every action he ever took, in every word he ever said, and he gifted that to us for our redemption on the cross, gave that as a sacrifice for us. Everything about his body matters. And he took that body back up again in his resurrection. And so he's saying to the church then, every part of how you live matters. The body matters. You're in the family of God now. You're going to see him, and someday you're going to be just like him in that sense. But then he says, you know what? Be like him now. And that's so much of 1 John. He spells it out what that ought to look like. You better love each other well. Over and over again, you, boy, you better love each other well. And then the other phrase that keeps coming up is keep the commandments. Because of this glorious hope, what you do with your life, your words, your body, your attitudes, all those things matter to God. I heard a missionary story when I was in high school, and I held on to that story, and it's always impacted me. And it was a story of a missionary family. I believe it was Africa. I believe it was Africa. And they were talking about, the, it was she, it was a single, single woman. And they were talking, she was talking about her ministry there, and she was leaving. So either it was retirement or a different season in her life, but she had spent her life there, and she was leaving. And so they had this big party for her. And all the, the tribes and the, and the groups, villages she had influenced, the word got out, she's leaving. And so uh, if you want to come say goodbye, come say goodbye at this event. She said, there was one person that surprised me. And it was an elderly woman, one of the women that she had won to Christ. But it was an elderly woman who lived like 20 plus miles away. And so when she shows up at the party, this missionary realizes nobody brought her. She's the only person from that place, which meant this elderly woman has walked 20 miles to come say goodbye to me. What do you do with that gift? And so she goes to the woman, hugs her, cries over her. They share stories, but eventually she says to her, you didn't have to. You didn't have to walk all that way. You could have sent greetings by somebody else. Oh, I wish you hadn't done that. You didn't have to walk all that way. And you know what the elderly woman said? The walk was part of the gift. My walk was part of my gift to you. How you and I walk is our, is our response to the one who gave all for us. John is saying to these churches who are battling all these little theologies and really some bigger theologies than the little thing we're talking about today, he's battling all of those and he says, here's the glorious hope. You will be like him. But now live in that reality that life's already begun and your walk, your life, the way you love, the way you live, it all matters to him. It matters. Where is that for you today where you need to, to look at maybe things you believe or things that we're doing, things that we're saying, attitudes that we're holding and say, you know what? 
I don't know if my walk is, is pleasing to him. How is it you need to, to know today the power of your walk, of what you can do? As John is desperately trying to remind them of the hope that they can have, how is it that the Lord wants through your witnessing, through your life, through your words, to bless somebody? There's no telling of the hope that he wants to offer through you. Just as John has reminded us that we are the beloved, that we're his children. How can you do that? How can you share that? And just as importantly, if there's someone here this morning who has said, you know what, I don't know that assurance. I just don't know it. I don't know that hope. I want to pray with you about that today. Because over and over again, 1 John reminds us, John's saying to us, I write these things that you may know. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this reminder in your word of your great love for us in Christ Jesus, that we might be called your beloved, that we might be called your children because he gave himself for us on his cross, that he was raised as the resurrection and the life. Fathers, we bump into any, any idea, any phrase, just give us right discernment, that we won't play with those ideas, entertain those ideas, but that we would be pure in our doctrine, that our minds that our beliefs, Father God, would be pure before you, but also so that we might be able to rightly witness to our friends and to our family, to our co-workers. Help us to purify ourselves in what we think and what we believe, but also, oh, help us to know that great hope that is in Jesus, that we would have that great assurance from you that we are your beloved and Father as well. By your Spirit, help us to see those places, whatever they may be, uh, that, is, that is not in your will. We thank you for this great reminder that everything we do matters. So bless how we love, bless how we live. For your glory we pray. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray this prayer. Amen.